Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. brings her home cook's expertise and no-fuss approach to the world of one-pot and pan cooking. With nearly all of the recipes being made in under one hour, the streamlined steps ensure you are in and out of the kitchen without dirtying a multitude of pans or spending more time than you need to on dinner. Expect to find a bevy of sheet pan suppers, skillet dinners, instant pot pinch hitters, comforting casseroles that you can assemble right in the baking dish, crowd-pleasing one-pot pasta meals, vegetable-forward mains, and dozens of tips for turning a vegetarian or meat-based recipe vegan. And since no dinner is complete without dessert, you'll find a chapter of One Bowl Cakes, too. These are simple, delicious recipes for weekdays, busy evenings, and any time you need to get a delicious, inspiring meal on the table quickly, with as little cleanup as possible. This is Dinner in One, Exceptional and Easy One-Pan Meals by Melissa Clark. Hello, welcome to the Love and Libcast. Today, we are talking about October's title, Dinner in One by Melissa Clark, and I am joined as always by Ashley Reacher. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. How are you doing this month? I am so great. As we're recording this, I think we record a few weeks before the podcast episode usually goes out, but I am loving the slight change in weather that we're getting, and I'm ready for fall to hit us in full, and I'm excited for all the autumn things that I think we'll also discuss later. Yeah, same. We had a little celebration at the library on Friday for Hobbit Day. Ooh. Yeah. And so everybody fun. brought all kinds of food and we had like first dinner, sec- or first breakfast, second breakfast, tea, like, et cetera, for the staff. Today I was kind of picking over the leftovers and there was a box of pumpkin spice cookies. And I had, had one and realized that I hadn't had any. That is my first pumpkin spice of 2023 so oh my gosh yeah big occasion big occasion (laughs) wow also my mom messaged me this morning sent me a text this morning with an alert an important notification that waterloo uh sparkling water you know that brand waterloo Mm -hmm. has a new flavor which is apple spice (laughs) so my mom is also in the um fall mode needed me to know immediately that she found a new flavor of the sparkling water that is exciting. I think I'll have to give that a try. I love autumn flavors. I'm lucky, though, that I work for a uh, photographer in Fort Collins who does food photography for a couple of different sources. She works mainly for blogs, and I cook for her. So I cook the food, and she takes photos of the food. And so we get to eat all kinds of food all year round. We're making turkeys in July and um, peak summer dishes in December. So I am lucky that I've had pumpkin spice, I think, just about every month. But 
it hits different when it's in when it's full autumn. Yeah, when it's supposed to be. Do you have to do any food trickery? I used to do um like set dressing for film and there would be somebody who would come in and make kind of food for advertisements and their whole job was like making a McDonald's hamburger mm-hmm. for an advertisement. Do you ever do any like tricks so that things don't melt or is it pretty much as is coming out? You know, we really do it as is. I think that you get more food trickery the the higher you get into the industry. So like, you know, McDonald's is probably doing much more trickery than what we're doing. I've done food styling just about all of my career and I have made um, fake roasted turkeys that are like completely raw inside, but we paint the outsides to make them look golden brown and which is pretty wild. I don't love doing that. So pretty shortly after I learned how to do that, I made a promise that I would always fully cook my turkeys and and photograph the real thing because I think that's important. But yeah, we don't do much trickery. Occasionally we'll do things like get a heat gun out, like a little uh, gun that can have a little bit of heat coming out to melt, you know, butter on top of pancakes or or whatever. But other than that, it's what you see is what you get for the most part. You want to see what you're going to actually make. Yeah, I think that a really talented recipe developer is able to make a dish and explain it and they're able to food style it and photograph it the way that you're going to get. So I think that's a good telltale sign if the cookbook is good. If if your your finished product looks like what the picture looks like, then you have a good cookbook on your hand. Yeah. I've never really thought about that so much. One day just want to talk with you about what it means to be a recipe developer and your whole job is so interesting to me. And so anyway. Oh my gosh, how fun. Bonus <laughs> episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ashley episode. Okay. So let's uh Before we jump in, actually, into Dinner in One, just some quick library updates that we have in the second half of October. So this episode will come out the second week of October, but on the third week of October, uh, so week after, on Wednesday the 18th at 7 o'clock, we are having Boulder author Stephen Graham Jones come and give a book talk, and he is a very well-known New York Times best-selling author of many, many works, um, most recently Don't Fear the Reaper, and he's going to be talking about that book as well as its prequel, My Heart is a Chainsaw, at that event. So that's at 7 o'clock on October 18th at Mountain View High School, and there's no registration necessary, and it's a totally free event. So if you like horror, oh, I should have said, he's a horror writer who's very inspired by, <laughs> <laughs> by like slasher films and kind of the slasher genre. So if that is your jam and it's October, you should definitely come to this talk. So that's my only plug before we talk about this book. So Ashley, why did we choose Dinner in One by Melissa Clark? Who's Melissa Clark? Why'd we choose this book? What can you tell us about it? Yeah, Melissa Clark is a quite well-known food writer She has been a columnist and a contributor to the New York Times food section for, oh, I think she's been a regular contributor since 2012, but she has been around in the food world for a long, long time. She has written, I discovered when I was looking her up this morning, 
Uh, she has written over 40 cookbooks, which is wild to me. Uh, so she knows her way around a cookbook. She knows her way around a recipe. Uh, she's been awarded James Beard Awards several times and IACP Awards, which that is an organization, The I believe it's the International Association of Culinary Professionals. If you see IACP on a cookbook, if you see that they've won an IACP award, it's a very, very good sign that um, it's a really great book. Uh, they are a big, big cookbook review organization, um, as well as other aspects of what they do. But again, she's been awarded those James Beard and the IACP awards. And then she's generally just a all-around recipe developer. She creates recipes for New York Times. If you sign up for the New York Times newsletter, you'll uh, see her writing every week, uh, which I really enjoy. And she often calls herself the voice of the home cook and says that she is an advocate for the home cook. So she really focuses on what it's like to cook at home, uh, not as much about restaurant food, which I really enjoy. And it shows in, in her cookbooks. Do you know anything, just really quickly, do you think that for those awards, <laughs> do they cook every recipe in the book? No, I really don't crazy. think that they do. Yeah, yeah um, <laughs> because I have I have actually gotten some IACP awards and they, they uh, or I have not gotten those awards. That would be amazing if they did, but. <laughs> I was like, Ashley, have, Ashley have, episode's coming. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, um. I've actually gotten some cookbooks that have been granted IACP awards, and they definitely evaluate the cookbooks on several different aspects. Uh, so I've gotten some cookbooks that, you know, the recipes are okay. They're not my favorite recipes, but the cookbook is revolutionary for other reasons. Um, for example, I think our New World Sourdough last year was an IACP award winner just because he had a, a really, really interesting take on how we bake sourdough bread. Yeah, and that's a good reminder that there's a lot more to a cookbook than just simply the product of the meal. And we've mm -hmm. talked a lot about that, of how people are positioning themselves. I mean, even in our last book, Mezcla, I mean, those meals were great, and I cooked a number of them, mm -hmm. but it was also... There's a lot of other work going into that, thinking about culture and thinking about how culture interacts with food. And it's not just the final product of the recipe. So totally, of course, of course, there would be other, uh, you know, considerations for those awards and just yeah, what you get yeah. on the plate. Like what it what it contributes to culture and how it combines culture in different ways. Uh, I think that's a really big thing that goes into them as well. So have you read um, or flipped through or made anything of another book of Melissa Clark's? I have not, actually. I believe that I have made uh, some of her recipes from the New York Times. But this is my first foray into Clark's books. I actually did not know that she had so many books uh, published. So that was such a fun surprise for me. Uh, this book definitely had a ton of hype around it. I think it's it's her uh, most well-known and most well-publicized book. She has several other books, several other dinner books, which is really fun. You can tell she really focuses on that. 
and then she has a couple of instant pop books. So she has some more niche books, but I think this was kind of, it's niche because it's, you know, one pot dinners, but that's something that everyone wants and that we all wanted, especially during the pandemic when this book kind of uh, was being worked on and came out on the tail end of the pandemic, I believe. There's a lot of niche, like want make one sheet pan chicken, that type of recipe. Mm-hmm. But something that I thought was really interesting about this book was that the diversity of the selection was really surprising to me. I thought mm-hmm. when I, because I made the recipe before I really flipped through the rest of the book. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought sort of assumed that the rest were going to be similar in kind of a hearty somewhat of a hearty mm-hmm. meal sort of maybe vaguely I don't know Germanic of in flavor or I don't know yeah <laughs> don't know yeah Euro- those European flavors yeah totally yeah but um I was really surprised by you know there's a lot there's noodle dishes and there's cakes and salads, salads. yeah 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 I think that that is a hallmark um, not only of this book, but of Clark overall, just how thoughtful she is when she approaches recipes. But I I totally agree with you. Um, This book spans seasons. I think a lot of books, uh, you can tell what the author likes to cook. So for example, Molly Paz, uh, her cookbook that we did last year called Cook This Book. It's an awesome book. And I love that book that uh collection but it's very produce dependent she uses some more um hard to find ingredients you know nothing wild but maybe not at your typical grocery store but this dinner in one has sheet pan thanksgiving where you can make an entire thanksgiving meal on the sheet pan and it has curries and it has like we said, salads. I I flipped to a uh, salmon salad earlier, and there's there's something in here for a little bit of every season. If you want to cook in the oven, if you don't want to turn your oven on and you want to use an instant pot, or if you want to cook it all in a Dutch oven, uh, it's it's very accessible for people who have kind of different cooking levels produce availability and depending on what you have in the kitchen um, this book has has it all for you and she has a lot of different adaptations that she offers as well so most of the recipes in here are either vegetarian to start with or have very very easy or fun uh, vegetarian and vegan adaptations that she explicitly lays out and explains how to do so Good for good for really any kind of eater, I think. You can really get down with um, these recipes no matter what you have and what you like to eat. Yeah, I appreciated, you know, seeing on every page, uh, almost every recipe, I think there's a little thing that says, like, swap it out. And mm-hmm. um, it's not just, you know, you can use salmon instead of shrimp or, you know, tofu instead of whatever, chicken. It's also mm-hmm. if you don't have this particular ingredient, for example, um, caraway seeds, she recommends on the page using something that's a little bit more 
familiar perhaps with just cumin seeds. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that kind of flexibility. And I think there's also related to that an unfussiness of the whole book. And part of that is if you're making everything in one, you know, one on one dish using as few mm-hmm. prepping and prepping bowls as possible, you're bound to be less fussy about everything because everything's touching everything else. I mean, I appreciate the unfussiness of it. Yeah. And she really gets the uses out of the ingredients. Like the recipe that we'll talk about, our featured recipe, uh, you brush, it's a sausage uh, and potato and cabbage bake on a sheet pan. And you brush the sausage with mustard. And of course you can use um, vegetarian sausage or, you know, she has a couple of, of suggestions, but you brush it with mustard and then you use mustard as your serving as like the, the, you can serve it with more mustard and you also serve it with some lemon juice. So she has these very simple flavors that she just builds and you continue to use them to flavor it afterwards. Like you said, like it can't be that fussy, you know, it's all together. Yeah. Do you think that there are, you know, now that I, I mean, really, I made this one meal out of this book and then I flagged, I don't know, six other ones because they seemed easy and similar to something that I make at home with multiple pots and pans and things like that. Mm -hmm. What do you think if we were to put on our Melissa Clark hat, what do you think that she would say that you can't really make in one pan? Besides baking, I suppose, but. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there are a lot of things that benefit from having multiple aspects. And even the things that in this book, you can make, you know, make different. I don't want to say make better, but you can garnish it and and put a unique twist on it. So, for example, like with with our featured recipe, you could garnish it with pickled red onions that you made. And that would be a fun little acidic pop on top. I think it's a having a certain level of expectations of when you make everything on a single sheet pan or in a single pot, you're going to have fairly similar flavors throughout, you know, pretty similar textures. Of course, we had like the cabbage, which got really tender and the potatoes that got crispy and the meat that's juicy. But it all kind of blends together in the end and it can be really, really delicious, but it's having the expectations of this isn't going to be, you know, I'm not going to a restaurant here where they, where they've spent two days prepping all of these different aspects of it. I think that as you cook more and more, you kind of accumulate not only the skills, but you accumulate these pantry ingredients that you become very familiar with, or you accumulate these prep ingredients that you have made and that you may just keep around. So I mentioned pickled red onions earlier. Uh, Those are really easy to make, but when you are making dinner and you have two kids running around and it's school and you guys have a million things to do, then you don't necessarily want to also make pickled red onions in addition to whatever else you're making for dinner. But if you have made that earlier in the week, you probably still have some in the fridge and you can kind of top it and use it throughout. Same with sauces like gochujang or sesame seeds or um, 
maybe you chop up scallions at the beginning of the week. So there's a lot of different ways where you can kind of accumulate these very easy to top and add and drizzle homemade items. But it requires a lot of cooking and it requires a lot of um, mindfulness of like what to keep and what your family will eat. So I think it just depends on what kind of cook you are. These are these recipes are all very delicious on their own, but you can put your own spin on it depending on what you have in the house. Yeah, yeah. And I think I like that idea of this, some of these recipes maybe being the base level, absolutely delicious, wonderful to have on their own if that's all that you're, you know, if it's Wednesday night, that's all that you can handle. But that they're, they could be dressed up for a weekend night or for company or something like that. Mm-hmm. I like that idea a lot. Uh, there's a whole section in here that calls for pressure cookers or slow cookers or Instapots. Ashley, can you tell me? <laughs> uh, I've never, ever cooked in a slow cooker, in part because I don't really know how they work and what they're really meant for and then also I'm terrified that they're gonna um, explode and kill me so can you tell me a little bit about like what is a slow cooker should I get one what do you use it for etc yeah a slow cooker or like an instant pot or I don't know those are different I didn't know (laughs) oh yeah yeah oh let's get into it yeah um so I uh, oh my gosh I grew up with slow cookers so slow cookers to me are just like it's wild to me that you haven't cooked in one um but of course I grew up in the midwest so uh, pot roast and things that we could that my grandmother would start before church and would be ready to feed us legion of grandchildren after church uh, was was very, very common. These days we have things like the Instant Pot or the generic term for Instant Pot is called a multi-cooker. So that means it can do pressure cooking and it can do slow cooking and it can uh, saute and 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 all of these different things. I actually got on the Instant Pot train a little bit later than most people. I'd say I got one a few years ago, uh, kind of being a cynic about it. I didn't think I really needed one. I thought that that was kind of silly. And also I was afraid of pressure cooking, I think like a lot of people, because pressure cookers, it's very easy to believe that they are easy to explode. Um, Because of This Is Us, Ashley. Did you watch that? I have not seen, but I think I would be terrified. There's an important episode in which that happens. I'm not going to watch because that would scare me too much. But but these days, they're fine? These days, yeah. So I was actually reading on this a little bit earlier just because I wanted to familiarize myself what are the dangers of pressure cooking? And there's a really good article on Serious Eats that maybe we can link to in the show notes about uh, kind of the history of pressure cookers specifically and you know how they were invented and how they work. It really goes into the physics of how it works, which is really fun if you're a total dork like me. So when pressure cookers were at the height of their popularity, Uh, right after World War II, they were being manufactured really, really quickly and with 
pretty cheap materials. So that's where pressure cookers got their dangerous, quote unquote, reputation, because they were being manufactured with, you know, cheaper steel, cheap valves, and uh, faulty gaskets. So the way a pressure cooker works is you put it on a stove or a traditional pressure cooker. You put it on a stove, you have a lid that locks into place. And as you heat what's in the pot, the steam and the heat create more and more pressure. And then that locks a valve on top of the lid. And then that pressure is all trapped inside. So when you trap pressure inside of a, a vessel like that, it will raise the boiling temperature of water. We're getting into the science a, a little bit here. I love it. So as we increase the pressure, we also increase the boiling temperature of water. So at sea level, what would be 212 degrees as the boiling temp goes up to 250 in a pressure cooker, which really speeds up cooking times. So for example, a roast that would take you know three hours to get to the point where it's tender and shreddy and, and um, where the fat has kind of melted out takes an hour in a pressure cooker or sometimes less. Because... It lost me for a second. So if the, um, sorry for the listeners, we're getting into a little bit of the weeds, but if you raise the boiling point of water, wouldn't it take more heat to boil? Am I crazy? Ooh, this is a good question because that, that I think that makes total sense. But uh, when we raise the boiling point of water, we can actually pack more heat into the water so if you're cooking a soup on the stove, that soup can never get above 212. The water just can't hold that much heat. And that's why you get like reduction. That's how we reduce sauces is by boiling them for a really long time. And then all of it steams off and we're left with just a little bit. When we can pack more heat into that water and not have it boil off because we are in a sealed environment, that's how it can cook faster is because we can really push the temps. On, on a stove, you can't get above 212 if you're cooking with water. You can obviously get above that with, you know, fryer oil or whatever. But if you can push that up a little bit more, you can cook a lot faster. Yeah, that makes total sense now. That's really, really interesting. Um, like you're trying to not have the water boil so that you can get the water hotter. Huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's like, and like frying in oil can cook things really, really fast because the oil can get up to 400 degrees or, or, you know, similar. It can just hold much more heat than water can. So to back up a little bit, because pressure cooker, cookers are these environments where we're really packing in a ton of heat and we're sealing on all the steam you know, after World War II, when these pressure cookers, they call them kind of the first generation of pressure cookers, they had the faulty gaskets and they had faulty valves and they didn't have a good valve system. And so when you got the pressure up so high, and if you kept pushing heat into it, if you kept the burner on, then there's nowhere for that pressure to go and it keeps building and it flies the lid off. Um, 
But these days, pressure cookers are a lot safer because they have a multi-valve system. They have much better gaskets. Just technology has um, really improved since then. So they have moderation systems to make sure that it, pressure doesn't build up quite that much. So that is kind of the second generation of pressure cookers. And then we have our third generation, which is our electric multi-cookers, which are very common today. And the electric multi-cookers work. They are able to moderate their own temperatures. They tend to cook at a, at a slightly lower pressure than what you would cook at with a traditional pressure cooker on a stove. But the machine itself is moderating the pressure and the temperature. So it's a completely seamless activity and you don't really even have to think about it or know anything about it. Considering I learned most of this this morning and <laughs> have been using the Instant Pot for the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of things does Melissa have as suggestions of things that you can cook in, in, uh, in an appliance, let's say? In the multi-cooker. In the multi-cooker. Are they all multi-cooker yeah. recipes? Um, I'm sure she calls them multi-cooker. I haven't especially investigated that section. But what kinds of things can you cook in an Instant Pot? Like, what do you use your Instant Pot for? I use the Instant Pot. Okay, starting as a cynic, it's really funny because we keep our Instant Pot out all the time. And we use it probably once a day if not once every like two days, but it, it gets, it's in constant use. We can't even put it in the dishwasher because we need it before we run the dishwasher. And we make rice in it all the time. Uh, just like white rice, you can put it in for a minute and it's done. What? What do you um, mean? Say that again. And it's perfect. You put rice in the Instant Pot and you put the water in and then you cook it on high pressure for one minute and then it's done. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. It feels like sci-fi. I thought you were being facetious with the one minute thing. Like a no, minute you put it in for a minute. No. Literally in one minute. Literally wow. one okay. minute is what we cook our rice at. I, there's a lot of different recipes online. But that's kind of the cool thing is because there are so many um, resources these days for Instant Pot. Literally just about any recipe you can think of, there's an Instant Pot version of it somewhere online, you know. You can make cheesecake in the Instant Pot. You can make boiled eggs in the Instant Pot. Uh, it's really good for cooking grains and dried beans, something that you would be simmering on the stove all day, you know, some dried black beans. You can cook in a few minutes. Wow. Um, really? Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, <laughs> truly. It's so cool. <laughs> well, that's really interesting to me because I hate, yeah, I hate like soaking beans and cooking them on the stove forever and then you're like well this was cheaper than buying them canned but was it worth it you know it was so much work yeah yes totally uh so she i'm looking at the instant pot section now she has a lot of stews soups there's a cauliflower carrot soup that looks really delicious there's curries um a lot of soups because the nature of the instant pot is that you need some liquid, like we talked about for the pressure cooker, you need some water in there uh, to create steam. Uh, but she has a gochujang stew, a chicken papercrash soup, um, and she even has a farro and kale stew, which looks perfect for fall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
I think the a multi cooker is great for anyone who's interested in this kind of cooking, the dinner in one cooking. A multi cooker is is the natural path I think to that, uh, and she also utilizes it uh, very well because you can kind of saute in your instant pot and then add the water and turn it on and pressure cook and you it's really a it's a one stop shop for if you're making a soup. Cool. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll yeah. think about it. I don't know. I feel like I'm like <laughs> I feel like I'm like from the fifties. Like what you can make. Rice in one minute. <laughs> but that's how I was. I mean, don't worry about it. I was like shocked yeah. the first time we did that. So I still am. I'm still like, this is amazing. That's why I get so giddy when I can tell cool. you about it. Well, our featured recipe was not cooked in the Instant Pot, obviously, because I made it. That recipe is a sausage bake. So we'll talk a little bit about that. The kits for that are going to be out the second Thursday, as always, at the library. That's going to be October 12th. And included will be coriander seeds, caraway seeds, and Dijon mustard. So what did you think of the recipe, Ashley? Why did you choose it? And then what did you think after you made it? The reason I chose it, actually looking through this book, she uses so much fresh produce. Sometimes, just for our needs, we need something that we can give away that is dry, that is shelf stable. But for the most part, as I was looking through her recipes, I was surprised how many of the ingredients she uses are really pantry ingredients that you would normally have on hand or are fresh produce. Um, so this was one really good for our needs that we can give away some some whole spices that uh, most people don't have. I actually didn't have whole caraway seeds or whole coriander seeds for that matter. And I used ground coriander and I used cumin as she suggested. But uh, it was a really, really easy bake. You add the veggies, the, the potatoes and the cabbage onto the pan. You bake those for a little bit and then you put the sausage on the pan and bake it for a little bit longer and then it's done. Uh, it was really delicious, super easy. I like put it together and then I went downstairs and waited for my timer to go off and didn't take a lot of thought, didn't take a lot of planning, just having, you know, those that cabbage and those potatoes and that sausage and then you're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the same about it. I did the exact same substitutions as you. Um, I didn't have caraway seeds, so I used cumin seeds and I did have some mustard seeds. So I thought sort of in the family of you know kind of tangy mustardy and then I used uh ground coriander for the listeners who are going to pick up those kits you're going to have it exactly as Melissa wanted you to have it which are <laughs> all the seeds you need it was still the flavors were really interesting and I liked the tanginess you top it off with dill at mm -hmm. the end I used fake sausage and my partner who eats meat was like, this would have been better with real sausage, which is what he says about every <laughs> fake, <laughs> everything like that. Uh -huh. But his point was that he thought that the like, juices from the sausage would have kind of like blended down into the, into the veggies, mm -hmm. which they didn't with the fake sausage because there were no juices. So that was one thing. I also put like a little yogurt on the side because my potatoes and stuff were like a little dry in part I think because of mm -hmm. the 
sausage juice, lack of sausage juice. If I made it in the future, which I probably will because it's really easy and simple and good for when you have, I often have an extra half a head of cabbage after doing something because you you never need a whole head of cabbage. Um, Oh my gosh, it's so much. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I'm always like, oh, what do I do with this cabbage? And so it's actually a good recipe to have in the back pocket for those half cabbages and, and then potatoes. And then you're pretty much, you could even do it without the sausage and have it just as the side of those two vegetables, I think. Oh yeah, totally. It's a really good method for roasting potatoes and cabbage together. I also added mushrooms Mm. to mine, like whole mushrooms. When I put the cabbage and the potatoes on the pan, I just added the mushrooms then and they turned out really well. I think that added a little bit of moisture to mine. I see where you're coming from, where I could turn out a little bit dry. I'd say for listeners who aren't meat eaters, I would suggest getting raw sausage, not cooked sausage. And that raw sausage will help, um, you know, have drippings that go all throughout. Yeah. I love your yogurt addition. I was going to say, I think that would be so yummy if you um, even mixed some dill and lemon juice into yogurt and then you have a little drizzle. And like we talked about earlier, these easy ways that as you're cooking, you can just, oh, I know how to do this sauce really quick and it's not a big ad and I don't have to look at a recipe for it. I can just mix this up and have a little sauce. Do you think that there's anything that we missed out on by using ground coriander? Like what, is that okay that we used ground coriander? I mean, it tasted fine, but what would it have tasted like? Yeah, I think that we, I think it's totally fine to use ground, especially for seasonings that you aren't going to use a ton of. Like, I wasn't super excited to, about buying caraway seeds because I'm not going to use a ton of caraway seeds. I'm not the biggest caraway fan. So I was totally happy to substitute that out and use ground. Whole seeds are, I used to work at a spice company actually, so I know nice. an inordinate amount of What do you mean spices, by like a brick and mortar spice shop? No. Yeah, I, I was the test kitchen manager for savory spice. Oh. Uh, savory spice shop there's a location in Fort Collins closest to Loveland but yeah so what we would always say is that those whole spices almost have an unlimited shelf life if you buy whole spices they're going to maintain their flavor so much better than ground ground spices really start losing flavor as soon as they are broken up But that said, I'm a huge advocate for home cooks just having what they're going to use. And I think it's totally fine that we use ground. Maybe the flavors weren't quite as strong. Maybe we got a little bit less texture from not using freshly smashed whole seeds. But I'm not too worried about it. It was still really yummy. And Now I know that I don't have an extra bottle of spices that I'm not going to really use. So whenever I go to buy spices, I think, you know, what's the form that is going to be the easiest for me to use this in? And I'm not trying to have a cabinet full of ingredients that I don't want to dig into. Yeah, whenever I see, you know, Sprouts, Sprouts has a kind of depending, okay, bulk spice section but there's also Mm, a bulk mm -hmm. uh, like a bulk spice spot 
like that kind of thing is a good solution for, I like went to King Supers, which did not have, which is not surprising, but did not have whole caraway seeds. Yeah. My King Supers also did. Yeah. And also I don't know what I would have done with an entire jar of caraway seeds, but if I were able to find them in bulk, I could just have, you know, get a tablespoon of them. Yeah, totally. That's such a good point. Yeah. If you can get it bulk, that's a really, really good point. Or I guess I said get it in bulk, but what I mean is get the amount that you need. Exactly. The opposite. (laughs) Get a a tiny amount. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, go to Costco, get a big amount. Um, Awesome. Yeah. So I thought this was a great, great recipe. I thought you made a great choice, especially for kind of colder a chilly chilly evening you might want something a little mm. bit more comforting and I thought this was a great recipe that you chose and I'm happy to have this book and I'm going to make some more recipes out of this for sure any last thoughts about the book uh yes I'm really excited to dig into other recipes I have not made any others yet I'm um, excited to sit down with my partner and kind of pick out some that we'll make in the next couple of weeks one that is especially on my list, uh, she has a recipe with the chicken and dumplings in the Instant Pot, and that's right up my alley. I am really excited to make that. Yeah, and it sounds folly. Fall-y, autumn-y. It does. Speaking of which, let's end the episode with what we're excited for for fall. So yeah. for October, fall's here, autumn is here. What are you excited to do in Colorado in October? What are you thinking? I love fall. So it's such a delight that you asked. My birthday's in fall. Both mine and my partner's birthdays are in November. We're about four days apart uh, in our birthdays. So we just have a really fun week to do all of the things that we've been waiting for all year. We also try to do a mountain drive every year to go look at the you know, go leaf peeping and look at the aspen colors. Uh, that's always such a where fun do you time. where do you go? I my partner is a, he grew up in Colorado, so I just let him go on all the passes that he wants. Often we'll drive kind of to Breck and back, Breckenridge and back, um, which is kind of a long day, but we get to stop and have lunch somewhere and see the array of all the colors that are available. And then I actually do get surprisingly inspired to cook in fall every year. I'm like, wow, what is this new energy that I have to cook and bake? And it's so exciting and it's cool enough to turn my oven back on. Um, And it's like every year that that comes at me as a surprise. (laughs) Um, But I'm excited for baking in fall. Uh, I like to make pumpkin chocolate chip muffins. Really often, I probably make them once or twice a month. And I think I'm excited to to read a little bit more. I haven't been reading quite as much. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I haven't been sitting down to read a book. So I'm looking forward to doing that this weekend. I'm very excited for fall. My birthday is also in fall. Like, I love Halloween. I love dressing up. I love jack lanterns. I love like the whole, I love leaves. Oh. I like the whole thing. I like the smell. I'm very I'm very happy and very excited that it's turning into fall. Me too. We're two fall girls. Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> awesome. 
summer feels really frantic and urgent like it has so many awesome things about it of course okay we all get it (laughs) summer's awesome but fall is the time for settling down it's like a contentment yeah and the frantic urgent urgentness of summer is often like I'm wasting my summer I haven't gone camping and mm-hmm. I haven't done like I gotta go hiking and all the Colorado-y things and yeah. like if I and I think it is a remnant also of being on an academic schedule um which I'm no longer on so I summer is the same work-wise so you're like trying to mm-hmm. recreate despite having the same work schedule so I know it's so hard out here seriously <laughs> <laughs> ah well we're excited for fall I hope all the listeners are excited for fall and I hope everyone's excited to cook this sausage bake and yeah thanks for chatting with me Ashley oh my pleasure thank you yeah. all right well reminder that the October 12th these kits will come out and on October 18th Stephen Graham Jones is going to be in Loveland Everyone wish Esther a happy belated birthday oh. <laughs> as of the release of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Through the airwaves, wish me a happy belated birthday. Mm-hmm. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot t-a-t-e at cityofloveland.org. See you next time.